Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Welcome to Author Voices On Air and I'm your host Rick Bell. Separate lives, broken hearts and struggles, separate paths but destiny drives two hearts on a journey that explores forgiveness and how far each is willing to go in order to forgive. This is an excerpt from our next book, Guilty But Forgiven. And joining me now, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show the author and writer, Somi Omaro. <coughs> welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Now let's begin by asking Eric. you to tell us a little of the story behind the story. What inspired you to write this powerful novel? Oh, uh, well, it... it... Uh, first of all, thank you Rick, for having me here. It's um, you know it, it began a couple of years ago when I was back in medical school. I trained as a doctor, and um, uh, it all started from a relationship I was in. And well, as it goes, you get hurt, and then sometimes you hold on to some things, and you know it it was difficult moving on because I was hurt, and one hurt led to another hurt, and. It took me a while to realize that I had to let go. I had to forgive, you know, the lady I was in a relationship with because um, it hurts. You know, when you when you plan to spend your life with somebody and then they walk away from you, it can hurt. And it took me a long time, actually, but I did get to the point where I got to learn that I had to forgive her to let me move on. And um, I started writing the book, must have been about eight years ago when I was, when I finally made that journey, and um, you know that's what you have in your hand from that journey. So it's very much a story of your story. Now, I suppose you could say that it's not just about forgiving; it's about realizing that everybody is an individual and deserves to be respected and trusted as such, and the actions or you know behavior of someone else is not a reflection on how this person is going to behave or how this person should be trusted yeah i think so i mean everybody is different you can't you can't judge all the fish in the sea by the size of the whale you know that's that's the way i look at life and that's that's one of the lessons from this book as well everybody's different everybody deserves to be taken differently and our imperfections are only things that you know, we should cherish, not not things to separate us or, you know, set us apart. And as people say, and I believe this myself, that we should learn from the past, not live in it. Yeah, yeah, quite true. Now, moving, quite true. Sorry, moving back to the book, who did you have in mind as your reader? Or, or let me put this another way, who did you write the book for and why? Well... I was thinking about young people like me who, you know, get through things and have to learn to forgive. It's mainly a book for young people. It's um, it's a Christian book, so of course it's to a Christian audience. But apart from Christians, it's for anybody who wants to who needs who, who wants to get past that thing that holds you back, that struggle you get with you get you're struggling with. You know, learning how to forgive. So it was for it was for young people at heart, people trying to 
come to grips with things that are unforgivable. I mean, I, I've spoken with people here in Australia who asked me about the book, and they've told me some things that are so difficult to forgive. And honestly, I mean, I, I sympathize with them, but the truth of the matter is it's a book for anybody who really, really wants to believe that forgiveness is possible. And the message is certainly strong and passionate in this book, and it's clear what you intend or what you would like the reader to take away or learn from reading this book. But if you could choose three words that really highlight the the message in this book, what would those three words be? Well, I think it would be simply put, imperfection deserves love. Very well put. You've openly admitted there that it's your story that you're telling in this book. But without giving too much away, and aside from yourself, tell us a little of the other characters or the other people who are in the story. Let me put something straight. It's not exactly my story. There's a bit of fact and a lot of fiction in it as well. But yes, the template is my story. It, it's about a young man who is hurt and a young lady too who suffers hurt and their journeys take them to different places they get hurt over and over again and they all have to come to learn how to forgive their families too need to learn to forgive and it all comes to a head when the two people meet at some point and the lady's past now becomes her past her culture now becomes a focal point you know, that makes it difficult for the young man's family to accept her. And um, the young man throws a few questions to his family, asking them what's so tough about forgiving somebody who, you know, has gone, past, gone through so much. And the young man comes from a great family. The young woman comes from... Um, similar family but she's she's um she has, she's brought up by a single mom who's been through a lot as well and she's seen things and you know she's just looking for love and then only to be rejected by the future family but at the end of the day it all comes down to everybody realizing that imperfection even imperfection no matter how imperfect we are we all deserve forgiveness. We all deserve love. And it's a story about two people who, you know, in in spite of all, that's Licky, the young man, and then Bimmy, the young woman, in spite of all, they make it through. And, of course, the important message that we need to learn here is that if no one ever made mistakes, we would never learn, we would never develop, and we would never really evolve and move on as as people. Yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is that all of us are imperfect, one way or the other. There's nothing perfect about any one of us. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things we're not proud of, you know, but those are not things to hold us down. They're things for us to step on, you know. They're things that become the stepping stones. They become our stories. They become the things we look back on and, we use them as grappling, uh, as grappling stones or hooks to move on to higher ground, not things to hold us down or things that we allow people to use to hold us down either. Where and when does this story take place? 
Well, it, it takes place in Nigeria. Nigeria is in West Africa. It's um, particularly in the southwestern past, part of Nigeria, a bit towards the Niger Delta. It starts in a university in the southwest and um, basically takes place in, in the southwest of Nigeria around a time period spanning from spanning the early 1970s. Of course, the caveat here is I wasn't born then. I just took the story and set it in that time period. Now, we've identified that's a story of love, of heartache, of the struggles between people and people's frailty. Now, that could be said about a lot of books out there. But in your opinion, what would you say sets this particular book apart from the crowd, apart from other similar stories? Well, I think it's the fact that you haven't really come across a book that talks about forgiveness or that tells us that forgiveness is possible or that actually paints us as black as we are, you know. I think what sets this book apart is the fact that it does point out the bad in us, but it also points out the fact that good is, is, is possible no matter how bad the bad is. And I think that's what sets this book apart. It's, it's not... It's not you know, a fairy tale of, I mean, no problems, a prince and a, a, a princess and a prince in shining armor. No, it's talking about people who are real, people who've gone through things and people who've learned. And what sets it about, I think, is the reality of the book. I, I spoke to people who come from Nigeria like me, and a lot of them have told me that when they read the book, it, it, it points to a larger problem in that society, it points to a truer picture. And I think the realness of this story, the, the purpose, the fact that it points to our frailties and the fact that forgiveness is possible is what sets this book apart. Now, we've talked about the struggles and the challenges that you faced in your life and in your relationships. And that brings me to my next question. How did those challenges and those struggles and those experiences affect your writing of this book? Uh, what, what were the difficulties you faced? And on a positive note, what did you yourself get out of writing this book? Well, I think what I got out of it was something I've always wanted to do. A part of me has always wanted to write. Um, being a medical doctor, the time to write is another problem, but it was an accomplishment. In, in terms of your first question, which asks what I went through and what it took, well, you know, it, it took time. It took me looking at my own life and asking myself the questions that I asked in this book. It was a journey for me, you know, to look at my life, look at the things I've gone through, look at the experiences, try to see the lessons I've learned and try to put those lessons into a story that someone else can learn from. Someone might say the story is simplistic, but to certain extents, the story is true. Sadly enough, my story didn't end out the way the young man in this story did. I wish it had, 
But I I learned a lot, and I tried to put it into the story, you know, to help somebody to who's struggling with things that seem insurmountable, pain that seems difficult to pass through, you know, betrayal that you you, you look at it and you wonder how did things go wrong, you know. Those were the things that I I I took away f- from writing this story. And has the experience of writing this book inspired you to continue as a writer? And if so, tell us a little bit about what you have planned for the future or any other books that well, you've written. Presently, presently, I am writing. The problem, like I say, is that being a doctor sometimes... It's a struggle for time. I mean, sometimes I'm up late at night trying to write. What I'm writing right now is a story cast in the history of the western part of Africa. There, It's a story about a tribe of female warriors. They're regarded as the Amazons of West Africa. Um, and their neighbors in West Africa as well. It's a story that traces the um, struggles to become a female soldier in a male-dominated society. And in fact, the story is probably poorly known about, but I'm hoping that writing this story will um, well get people aware of the fact that women have been much stronger than we think they have been, even in West Africa, and um, some of the cultural things that have happened and have, uh, and the strengths women have been able to display in the heritage in that part of Africa. It's um, a story I'd like, I, I'm hoping to write as a trilogy, and um, it will trace questions, it will trace um, love as well, it will trace struggles, it will trace... Um, Betrayal. It also paints a picture of war. It, it's kind of a, a a big work in progress. I must say so. I just have no idea when I'm going to finish. <laughs> well, we certainly can't wait for that to be available for our listeners. Now, in, finally, in closing, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about about the book and about user writer that we haven't covered during the interview so far? Uh, well, I don't think there's much to tell about me. I think it's fairly obvious that I'm a doctor. I like to write. I like to read as well. I've always been a reader. Um, but I like to write. I tend to tilt towards um, inspirational books because I'm a Christian. Um, about the book, the book is available in bookstores across the U.K., in Australia, in the U.S., it's also available on Amazon, on um, Barnes and Noble as well, and um, you can also go to the website Guilty But Forgiven, and to the Facebook page as well, and to the Bookmart page as well, and there's a lot more. Uh, there's information on how to get the book from there. Of course, you can get it on Amazon as well. And I think it should be quite an interesting read. Well, thank you for that. Guilty But Forgiven is published by Ex Libris 
and is available direct from the publisher, and as the author mentioned, also available from all good bookstockists. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, the author and writer, Somi Amowo, for joining me today. Thank you for your time. It has been a pleasure. Thanks, Rick. This is Rick Bell for Torgonet Radio 2.0. Thank you for listening. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book title is Crown of Ashes, and joining me from the Houston area in Texas is the author, Vanessa. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is over 500 pages. This is your first book. Uh, I think that's fascinating that a first-time author can write a story that uh, would encompass that much territory. Is this a true story, or is it fiction? What is the uh, genesis? What is the reason for the title, Crown of Ashes? Well, the truth, it is a true story, but uh, I put it under fiction and under relationships and marriage. Because it's just so much, it encompasses so much. And that's why it took so many pages, as you say, because it's a a story of what happened to my life after I married and left the United States. So, yes, it's kind of long, I guess you can say. Well, it's not boring. I mean, I I began to read your book and had difficulty... uh, stopping reading because it does talk about your life and the very first chapter grips you with the um, the the basic premise or the basic foundation of your story you left to go to Syria to marry someone uh, someone that you did you know them well when you began uh, this relationship or how did that come about you see we we met at the university and the thing is He is a Syrian Muslim, and uh, we were young, and he was just so different, so masculine, and I had never met somebody like him. So I guess it has to do with my young age. I just fell in love, 
And as soon as we graduated, that's it. We went back to Syria. I didn't think twice because those three years that we had spent, um, we had spent them studying and having fun. But uh, I really didn't meet the real person because he was a different person in the United States. Very careful. And when we went back home, I mean, it was, um, I say home because I lived there for such a long, long time. It was uh, slowly, slowly he started to change until he went back to his real character, which mm. was a very violent character, very uh, masculine, but uh, abusive. Wow. So I, by that time, I already had my two boys, and it was just uh, impossible for me to leave because I could not take them. I had to leave them. That was an impossibility. Ouch. There was no way I was going to leave my two boys. Definitely culture shock, which you uh, titled your second chapter. You did not speak Syrian when you when you went to that country, correct? No, I did not speak Arabic, not at Arabic, all. I'm sorry. I didn't bother to learn here when we were dating in the United States. And uh, once I got there, even though I do like languages and I do speak three besides Arabic, um, it was just a, a challenge because it is nothing like any other language that I knew. So it was very difficult. But on top of that, it's like you said, the culture shock. Everything was completely different. Breakfast was different. Drinks were different. Social etiquette was different. The women um, were kind of isolated from the men. Uh, if you were not married, you had absolutely no social life. And even married women, many times we were separated. So the culture shock, I thought that it would be over after a year. And the truth, it was never over. It was just, you know, maybe a few years would pass and then something would happen that I would say, oh, my God. This would never have happened in the United States. Mm. But now, w yes. w women are not uh, permitted, or not in, at least culturally, it's not a uh, a custom for a woman to uh, acknowledge a, a stranger or a, another person on the street uh, like we do in the United States. Is that a correct evaluation of of how that culture conducts itself? Yes, yes, exactly. And then you have to remember Syria was a beautiful country, and it was one of the modern, uh, we can say even moderate Muslim countries. However, do not happen. In the street, you do not smile to a man. As a matter of fact, most of the time, be kind of down where you're walking, and you do not acknowledge a man in the street, especially a stranger. And that is something that in the United States, it's just so taken for granted that people smile, a stranger can ask you, how are you? You don't think twice about it. Right. Over there, I could not do this. So, yes, I'm telling you, the culture shock was absolutely shocking. Abs absolutely a, a different um, perspective of life than what we're accustomed to in the United States and the Western culture, for sure. What, what was the, uh, the one thing that began to impact your life in a negative way that you, you began to say, maybe I need to make a change. 
It was the truth. It was uh, multiple things. There was absolutely no support from my in-laws. So, um, and at that time, at the very beginning, my sister also married my brother-in-law. So we were two sisters married to two brothers. Mm. And my sister's marriage deteriorated very, very fast. And I saw at that moment that the family would never take our side. Never. So that was something that uh, was an eye-opener, especially because we were not at fault. Yes. The, the husbands were, well, they, were, they could both be violent. Uh, they, they both uh, were womanizing. Yet the, the in-laws, it had to be okay. It was okay. They'll come back home. So our place was supposed to be at home with the children, and we really had no say. So I think that was the beginning. My sister finally left. Wow. And she left her son. So that was a very, very difficult chapter for me to write because I was still so young. I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to help her. Um, and it was very difficult for me to see the pain and suffering that uh, she was going through. And then after that, it was just one thing after another. My marriage deteriorated also, but not quickly. Maybe it was because I had been so much in love and I really wanted to make it work because I had two boys. But um, that was just the beginning when, when I realized that we had no support. I was completely alone. Nobody, not an uncle or an aunt, um, nobody. Were, that was very, very difficult. Were you able to to communicate with uh, your your family that uh, that you had left to involve or to to become in, engaged and and married to this individual? Well, to tell you the truth, by the time everything started deteriorating for us, my father had passed away, hmm. and we had no brothers. So, my mother, I was not going to put her through hell, because what could she do? She could not just get on an airplane and come and, and do what? It's the culture also. So, and again, my mother had been the one that was against the marriage. So uh, I was like, I just better take it and then make the best of it. This is what I chose. I had two boys to look after. And I decided that I was not going to tell my family because we were all women by that time. Mm. After my father passed away, my sisters and my mother, they could not have done much. So, no, I actually kept a lot of what was going on a secret. And oh. she actually died thinking that I was a very happily married woman. Incredible story. Did, did you keep a, a diary or notes of what was transpiring during your, your time, your difficult time? Not at the beginning. But when I got to the point that I could not tell my mother what was going on, I did write some letters that I never mailed. Mm. So it was my way of uh, releasing my pain or my fear by writing. So I, I haven't written a book before this one. I hadn't. But um, I had written my emotions, my, my fears, uh, how hesitant I was to, to make a decision and how I wasn't even able to make a decision because all the decisions were made by my husband. 
So that, I think, is, was the beginning, even though this happened a long time ago and I didn't start writing the book until 2011. But uh, I did write my mother letters that I would just uh, never mail. Wow. And they were there. So it was not exactly a diary, but it was something that I would cry and I would tell her, and they never mailed them. So you, you, that's how it started. You, you have one chapter that's titled uh, Surprising Developments. What does that cha- chapter entail? You see, my life was like a roller coaster, because there's also some chapters that are called roller coaster, because it was unbelievable, the contrasts. Uh, my husband could be very kind and loving, and then a few hours later, he could get angry and be completely, completely the opposite person. As my in-laws, sometimes they pretended that they would support me, and then when something happened, it was just surprising how they could forget so easily that, that they had promised support, and they could just say no. So surprising developments really are things like that, that it was, I think, the period of my life where there was a little bit of calm because something happened. Either we were doing well economically or we were not having family problems. But um, those were, the, I guess, the lull in all the action that was happening and everything else. It's it's an incredible story. You you say you began writing in uh, 2011, so it was a four or five year process of of going back over this very difficult time in your life. What was the motivation uh, besides? I, I would think you know there's a, there's a necessity to to get that out of your system. But what do you hope to achieve and accomplish by sharing your story? First of all, the motivation was really selfish because it was like a catharsis. I needed to release my secrets, the pain, the years of abuse, the fear that I lived in. Um, I had repressed emotions. And at that time, in 2011, the Civil War had begun where I was living. And I had been shot at from the rooftops of some of my neighbor's I don't know which one of my neighbor's uh, homes. Mm. So I went to Damascus, and it was very difficult for me because I was still in shock. I was just, uh, I I didn't know how to react to what had just happened. I had almost gotten killed. So not doing anything, one of my sisters told me, it's time for you to get everything out. Mm. And that's when I started writing because I wasn't working. I had just lost my institute. I had just lost my other job in a private school. I had just run away from a beautiful house and a beautiful life. And even though we did have a small house in the suburbs in Damascus, it was just a a summer house. So, uh, and I had never lived in Damascus. So that's when I started to, to write. That's where everything started. I... It was time for me to just let everything out, release everything that had happened. And I will say the uh, the writing style that you have achieved is uh, certainly very engaging. It's uh, it's very personable, and it, it reads like a novel, like a fiction in some respects. And, and yet it is a, a, a very enjoyable read 
because you're drawn into the story. What was the key moment that you were able to make a change in your life, and, and how did that come about? I think the key moment was uh, when I decided that I did not need my husband anymore. And by that time, I had opened my own institute. So I was pretty independent economically. And the kids had grown up. So my boys, I didn't have to worry about them that much. And they knew they, even though I never said anything, they knew that I had gone through abuse. And um, I actually tell him that I don't care anymore. And I think that was one of the moments where I finally just said it without fear. Mm. I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to hurt me anymore. And safety. And he he, he kept trying to hurt me anyway. From a safety standpoint, how does that culture deal with those type of confrontations? I mean, you had made a decision, this marriage is over, we're ended, we're going, I'm going separate direction, a separate direction. Was there any in, innate fear or concern when that happened? Oh, well, because it really didn't happen. He did not let me leave. You do ah, not do that. Right. As a matter of fact, at that point, at that time, a woman could not ask for a divorce. It's starting to change now, but a woman at that time could not ask for the divorce. I couldn't leave because I would have been stopped at the border, and without his permission, I could not leave. Wow. So I knew I had to stay, but he took a second wife, and that's when I told him, you know, fine, just leave me alone. He would come back to to spend the night at the house. It was more like having a, a roommate, but he wasn't even in my room. And um, so it's not exactly the way you you took it, because you took it like an American separation, yes, you know, that yes. I have a house, he has a house, I have a life, he has mm-hmm. a life. No, I had my life in that I could go to my work, and I had my own money, I could go out with the boys, because they were older by that time. Uh, so I had a social life that I could go to weddings without him. I could go with my boys. Um, but I never was able to free myself from him until the Civil War. See? Yes. That's why this horrible Civil War that also added a little bit of damage to our lives, but also it was the key to finally let me separate from him. It's because a fa- at that point, uh, we were living in separate homes at that point. It's a fascinating story, and again, I will tell my readers, it's, it reads like a, um, like a fictional novel, so you will enjoy the story and the, the roller coaster ride that definitely is outlined in, in the story. Vanessa, thank you for joining me today. This, uh, this book is one that I think many people of different cultures, regardless of where they live in the United States or around the world, will enjoy reading. How do they get a copy of Crown of Ashes? Right now, Crown of Ashes is uh, on Amazon, and they can also go to Barnes & Nobles. They have to ask for it, and they have free shipping. So uh, those are the two more uh, common places. It's also on the Ex Libris bookstore online because they were my publishers. And um, that's it. You just have to go to Crown of Ashes, Vanessa. I also have my website. It can also be bought there. 
Um, so it's it's quite easy to get. Excellent. Your website. What is uh, what is that address, please? It's www.crownofashesvanessa.com. Excellent. You've done a wonderful job in in your writing style and skill, but I'm honored that you would uh, share your story with the world and tell your side of a a very difficult part of your life that has, I hope, turned into something that's that's beautiful to see. Uh, You certainly have uh, presented the story in a beautiful way. Thank you, Vanessa, for sharing time with me today. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Again, the, the title of the book is Crown of Ashes, and the author... Vanessa. For Ex Libris on Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Okay. Greetings, greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Power of the Green Card, something I'm familiar with. And joining me from New York City is the author and uh, the general guy who wrote this, uh, Grant Kennedy. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Dad. Thank you for this privilege and for giving me this opportunity to really talk about my book that I'm so excited about. Well, it's a great it's a great uh, and, and very topical read because of what's going on in the United States right now. There's a lot of discussion about uh, individuals from other countries who have who may have snuck across the border or may be here without the proper documentation. You uh, originally your family was not born in the United States. You were born elsewhere. Tell me a little of your your family history and how you got to New York City. Well, I was born in Jamaica. I was fortunate to, I came here in 1976 uh, because of my mother. She had originally came like 10 years before through a domestic work program from Jamaica. Mm. And back in the late 60s, young girls like my mother was able to come here to work as domestic helpers. And for that, they would get a green card. And by having a green card, they were able to... um, you know, bring their siblings and their uh, kids here. I will uh, also mention and disclose uh, for the sake of my audience that I also am a green card holder. I have been here a number of years, was born in Canada, which is a very, oh. very close na- a close neighbor of the United States. And uh, okay. I, I happened to attend school in uh, in in Texas and uh, became a green card holder many, many years ago. It has presented some issues as as I have carried it over the years. In fact, last year uh, they sent it to the wrong address or the the uh, the uh, post 
postal uh, postal person. Still a green card holder? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I sure am. And uh, as a as a postal employee, they they sent it to the wrong address, and it took me almost eight or nine months to get that unscrambled and get a, a correct green card uh, reissued so there are some some current issues with green cards and uh, and with the the process uh, have you noticed in your stories you have 10 individuals you've told their stories are they contemporary i mean did they happen recently or have they happened uh, over the uh, the period of years that you've been here they happened over time and what happened is the people i chronicled are people who actually most of them came here without a, a permanent green card. Mm. Some came um, on, a, on a vacation and overstayed, and some came through illegal means. And my purpose for writing the book was that, you know, over the years as someone from the immigrant community, myself and my wife has, you know, encountered a number of these people and you know, they would give us their stories about what life is like in America living out of status because, you know, if, they don't, if they're not in status, things are not that easy. It's right. not that easy to get a job. It's not that easy to get an apartment. Uh, it's not that easy to access medical care. So it, it, it's, it's living on the fringe, and, and some of them really go through some hardship. But what, what, what fascinated me was how they – you know how most of them just dealt with it and just overcome and and, and be and become such an American stories. Most of them, yes, and that that was what intrigued me because most of them, I, I feel they're so much do better than I did. You know, I came here legally in 1976 and I became a citizen in 1992. Congratulations! And yeah, thank you and. You know, I feel accomplished, but when I look at what these people coming from where where these people came from and what they did, sometimes they make me feel like I haven't done anything. Wow, the stories that you have shared in your book uh, again, ten different individuals were most of them desirous of getting a green card when they came, or was it just something that evolved after they'd been here a while? No, all of them that came in here, they wanted a green card. Uh, uh, many of them came on a vacation hoping not to go back right. and uh, to just overstay, and some of them came by other clandestine means. So all of them desired a green card because once, you know, especially, well, I'm fr a number of them are, are from Jamaica, but some of them are from Africa, and I even have, uh, I think, two European persons in there. Wow. But all of them... Their desire was to come to America and live in America, and they they just wanted an opportunity to come here. And once they get here, most of them they weren't going to leave no matter what. Yes, you you mentioned there there are a couple of Europeans, which uh, many I think in the culture that look at the what we call illegal uh, immigrant who is here and has overstayed his, his welcome. Uh, they don't think of Europe as a, a country or a, as a series of countries or a group of countries that people would want to come to the to the United States from. Was that something that surprised you personally? Yeah, it did. It did because, you know, when you see the faces of uh, so-called illegal immigrants, it's usually people from, you know, the Caribbean, people from Africa, people from Mexico. Right. You know, you, you, you don't usually associate uh, 
white Europeans with having that issue, but I was surprised. Uh, in fact, there's a community near where I live, Irish community, where I learned that uh, there's a there's quite a bit of, of the population there are are illegal aliens, but mm. somehow they managed to get by easier than the typical what we see as illegal alien. And you know, to be honest with you, it's it's because of race. You really? know, I can't attribute it to anything else. Your your personal career has it been involved in the um, in the culture of of uh, immigration, or is it something else that you have pursued? No, it's something else I've pursued. I just stumbled into this, as I said, because myself and my wife over the years, because we're from the immigrant community, we encounter these people, and there are a number of times. You know, we had to help them. There are people who could not get jobs, who have no money, people who didn't have a place to stay because they can't get an apartment. Can't get... And over the years, we have encountered a number of people, and we have helped them, you know, and come to learn of their stories. And what gave me the idea for the book, actually, I uh, about 25 years ago, I, I'm, a, I'm a tax accountant, and I did a tax return for a young man, and he was an immigrant, and he was telling me his story that I think he, I call him Mr. What It Takes in the book. He's in the book. His, his, his story is the one that inspired the book. He was telling me what he went through to, to be a, 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 a legal resident. And I found the, the story so fascinating. I'm like, that story should be in a book. But to mm. be honest with you, 25 years ago, I didn't even thought I could write a book. But over the years, the, it, it, you know, it kept in my mind that this guy's story should be in a book. But as I said, I didn't think I could write a book. And, you know, five years ago, it just dawned on me, you know what, you can write a book. You know, you've gone to college, you're not such a bad writer, write the book. And, you know, and I said, you know, I got 10 good stories, so I said I could write the book. So I just started looking at doing some research on books and I went to the library and I look at books, how they, you know, especially typical kind of books, like what I wanted to write, how, you know, how it put together, how the authors go about. But, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I just put it together and here it is. Well, beautiful. And the, the, you've named each of the chapters or many of the chapters after the individuals that you have highlighted. Uh, you don't use their real names, of, of course. You talk about, in Chapter 9, Miss Poland's uh, The Polka Queen. How did she get yeah. here, and what was that story? Well, her story is she, she came on a visit, on a, on a vacation. You know, she had her grandmother was living here. So she came on a vacation, and then when she came here, it was so exciting for her, she decided she didn't want to go back to Poland. Mm. And uh, she told her grandmother, and her grandmother was like, you know, if you're going to stay, you're going to have to do something with your life. But, you know, she didn't qualify for a green card, so she came and she stayed. And, you know, if you read her story, it's, you know, it's kind of tragic, and it's still unfolding because she still don't have a green card, and mm. she have gone through some issues that, you know, someone like that shouldn't have gone through. But, you know, it's 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 the way it is, and I I hope she will eventually get it. But she, up until the writing of this book, she did not she did not get the green card. Still attempting to get but, it. Yes. Yeah, and there was another lady, uh, Miss Faithful. She had a real 
challenging story. She came here. She didn't even come on a vacation. She came illegally, mm. you know, through somebody else's name. And um, she, uh, after struggling for many years, she was fortunate enough to marry an American citizen. Mm-hmm. But because of the way she came, she didn't, she, she, she was punished for the way she came, but she couldn't prove how she came. So even though she married to an American citizen, she couldn't get her green card. Really? So for years, she, you know, her husband petitioned for her and she couldn't get it. Finally, she had to, uh, you know, petition to go before a judge to hear her case. And after three tries, just the week when the book was published, she, 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 she was successful in getting her green card. Ooh. That's a, that's that's a great end to that story. Were there other yeah. stories other stories that inspired you? I, obviously, there's ten of them. Which of them is the perhaps the one that will grab the the reader the most? Do you think and and tug at their heartstrings? Oh, there's one I call Mister Can Do It All. This was a young man from Jamaica. He, hmm. growing up in Jamaica, he had a real tough life. His mother. His mother left him in Jamaica, like literally almost on the street. She left him with strangers. And uh, he was with some strangers that some incidents happened and he couldn't stay there. So he found himself, you know, living uh, from house to house on the street and have to rummage through garbage to to find stuff to sell and eat. Mm. While his mom was here, she came here. She started a new life having having kids and married and forgot all about him. Wow. And, you know, he struggled, you know, and grew up in this tough environment. But because, I don't know, he was so gifted. As a kid, as a kid growing up, he, he, he learned to do any and everything. And as he became 18, he started working and started learning different things, got married very young. And one thing led to another, his... One of his mom's kids, his sister that was born in America, learned from her mom that she had a brother in Jamaica, and she was so, she was so inquisitive and intrigued to find out about him. So she put out a a a notice in the Jamaican media, on the radio and in the newspaper, looking for her brother. Hmm. And somehow he got the word, and he got in touch with her, and. You know, one thing led to the next. He decided he wanted to come to America on a visit. He came, liked it, didn't want to go back, and decided to stay. Uh, struggled for many years, and now, at one point, he had three successful restaurants, five houses. Wow! Is doing remarkably well. And believe it or not, the kids that his mom have here, they ended up. One guy ended up in prison. The two girl, one of the girls, ended up on welfare, and he had to end up burying his mom. You know, so wow. that's that. That will tug at your heart when you read that. Oh, story. that's a fascinating, fascinating uh, outcome of that story. It, it, you know, if he had, who knows, if he had come to America with his mom originally, he may not have fared as well as he has, and uh, certainly that's has. Fared as well. You know, that's that's what I'm. That's one of the things I learned is that America is. Is a great place and great opportunities, but you know, it seemed like for you know some people that are here, they don't see it and they can't recognize it and they can't they can't 
they can't see the opportunity and they can't they can't grab a hold and use it like somebody else who didn't come from that you know environment yes. and and just to to me like when I came to America all I could see is opportunities beautiful and you know even my story my story is in there and my story is I came here you know, my mother had five kids. When I came here, my mother had to rent two rooms, you know, for $30 mm -hmm. a month. Wow. $30 a week, one room for my brother and one room for her. And, but all I could see is opportunities. And, you know, I decided that no matter what, I'm going to, I'm not going to be just a regular person. I'm going to be a professional. I'm going to make myself better than, you know, what my mother went through. It's, a, it's incredible, Grant, what, what you personally have achieved. And now an author, uh, in addition to a, a, a full-blown career that's been one of success, you have uh, interacted with some, some fascinating people and have shared their story in this book. What do you hope to achieve by, by sharing their story, the power of the green card? What I want to achieve, I want, I want people to see that, you know, these, these so-called illegal immigrants, they're more than just statistics. There are people with lives that are part of the American experience. No matter what you think they are, they're part of the. They're part of what make this such a vibrant culture. Because these mm. people, when they do come here and they get a break, they do remarkable things. Absolutely. And and and, and I just, I, I would just like, you know, the discourse that is going on now to be. To, to be a, a bit more civil towards them. I, I, I'm not for, you know, breaking down immigration laws or anything. Right. But things like the DREAM Act, if you have someone who, who was brought here through no wish of their own at five years old, and America is all they know, you can't just throw them out of the country. They're Americans, for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, fix the system so it don't happen again. But these people that have grown up here... You know, 20, 30, 30 years old, you can't just just have them living in limbo like this. It's not right. Well, you're, you have certainly outlined the the issue in your book and have done a wonderful job. This is 200 and, uh, 206 pages, I believe. Again, the title of the book is The Power of the Green Card. And as someone who is on the receiving end of a green card and have seen some of this uh, on a personal level, I can say that the system is not functioning as it should in many respects. So thank you for sharing your story and sharing the story of these 10 individuals plus your family. Uh, where can my yeah. listeners get a copy of this Grant, where can they find a copy of The Power of the Green Card? Well, you can get a copy on my website, greencardpower.com. It's also on um, barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. So you can get it at greencardpower.com, and it's on amazon.com and, and barnesandnoble.com. Well, Grant, thank you for, for sharing your story. Again, uh, a book that is certainly contemporary with the times and the discussion. So hopefully my listeners out there will uh, jump all over it and get a copy and read these fascinating stories that you've shared. Thanks again for being a thank part you, of today's thank program. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And just one little thing. Sure. You know, someone asked me, why the power of the green card? My my, my reason for that for that title is that because... What it does, what, what what people will do to get this is incredible. So it's Absolutely. a powerful thing, and, and you know that that's that that's the reason behind that name. Absolutely, because if you read the story and see what people do to get a green card, you you can 
imagine you, you can decipher how powerful this card is. And in addition to that, you'll also, I think, respect the fact of uh, what you have if you were born in the United States, uh, the uh, the beauty of the green card yeah. and acceptance in the United States in a legal uh, sense and how powerful that is. Thank you again for, for your time and sharing your story. And thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. For Ex Libris on Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Thank you. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris on Air.